I love the geography of Maine. The, the diversity and geography between the, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the mountains. On the other side, I'm not too pleased with the diversity of the people. Because <laughs> um, uh, people have a lot to learn from, from the landscape. Hi, and welcome to Welcome Home Conversations with Mainers on the Way Life Could Be. I'm Marfine Chan. And I'm Liz Greeson. And together we'll be your hosts for this podcast that highlights the amazing work being done by Mainers who are on the front lines of making Maine a more just and equitable place for us all to call home. We'll hear about struggles, enjoy, lessons learned, and wisdom gleaned. Liz and I hope you leave with new insights and information that can inspire you to action in your own context and community. Today, we'll be talking with James Ford, a lifelong advocate for justice. James is someone who I've been fortunate to collaborate with a lot recently. And in this, I have seen firsthand his insight and his poignant questions inspire new creative ways to approach inclusion and equity. As he'll do in our podcast today, he invites us to slow down, to listen, really listen to each other and to the truth of our experiences and perspectives. As James will describe in a moment, he embodies a number of roles and identities. He's a black man of African descent who is tracing his lineage to the Middle Passage and who owns land in Georgia on which his ancestors were slaves. He is an educator and facilitator, having been recently appointed by Governor Janet Mills to the Maine State Board of Education. He is currently working on a number of equity and justice-related projects as an employee of Lewiston Public Schools. In all of these roles, he approaches work across difference from a place of curiosity, compassion, and listening. And Marfine and I believe that having an opportunity to listen to him will be important and impactful for you, our listener. So let's do this. But first, a quick check-in. So our listeners may have noticed our podcast has taken a bit of a hiatus. This came about for a really great reason, actually, and that is that Marfine was tirelessly campaigning for the Portland Charter Commission, which he won a spot on last month. Congratulations, Marfine. I'm so excited for you. Can you tell our listeners, and maybe particularly the folks who live outside of Portland, a bit about the Charter Commission and why it's pretty exciting to be a part of? Of course. Happy to do it. It's, it's still the million-dollar question I get all of the time when I'm standing in line for a bagel like this morning or at the grocery store. It's really funny because here in Portland, people either confuse me with Councillor Tay Chong or they know me as one of the commissioners because I'm one of the few elected Asian Americans in Portland and in all of Maine. Uh, but the answer to the question is really simple. You know, uh, each town has a city charter and the Charter Commission looks at the city's um, Portland's governance document, uh, our city charter, and ways we can improve it to better reflect the city that we are today. Um, it outlines the basic functions and roles of the mayor, manager, council, school board, and how elections are supposed to happen. So it's a super important document, and I have some ideas that I'm going to introduce around racial equity, including a Wabanaki land acknowledgement and establishing a permanent human rights commission, which has been a project of mine since 
uh, my early days in law school in 2014. That is such important work, Marfine. And it's really getting at the heart of equity from a structural perspective. And Portland's so lucky to have you as part of the team taking that on. Thanks for the kind words, Liz. And um, we haven't really spoken much uh, during the election, so I have some catching up to do uh, with news in your life. How's uh, Sadie doing? Um, Summer going well? Summer in Maine, right? There's nothing much better than it. Even with the rain that we've been having lately, it's just like, I, I really, I I can't think of a better place to be in the summer. Um, Sadie's having a good time. She just went to pottery camp. She loves Portland pottery. A little shout out to our local business there. They do a wonderful job um, with pottery for, for little kids and not so little kids for adults too. So um, yeah, so far so good. Let's Let's keep the summer going. Awesome. So now let's uh, do a dive into the definition and preview of terms. And we've got uh, a new one here from um, James Ford, our interview uh, E. And so we'll, we'll dive into that. So a couple of concepts that came up in our conversation with James are experiential learning and culturally responsive teaching. And so Marfine and I just wanted to take a moment to preview a little bit about both of these. So experiential learning um, and particularly something called Kolb's experiential learning cycle, which um, was uh, developed back in 1984, really suggests that learning is the process whereby knowledge is created through the transformation of experience. And so what the heck does Kolb mean when he says that? Well, essentially what he's saying is that we have these experiences, right? And in a moment, we'll be talking about particular experiences uh, with James. And then one of the cases that, um, or, or one of the perspectives that James has is that we really, much of the learning happens in that reflection on our experience. And that is the the second stage of Kolb's experiential learning cycle. The first one being having that concrete experience, the doing. And then the second, the reflective observation, really reviewing, thinking about processing, how did that go? From there, we go to something called abstract conceptualization, which is is learning or from the experience concluding based on the experience and the reflection what have I learned such that I can put that to action the next time call and that is called active experimentation trying out what you've learned and then having a new experience and the process goes around in a circle we will include a link to um, to a visual that describes this in a little bit more depth um, in um, in the notes of our of our podcast the other term that, um, and the other concept that we are talking about with James is something called culturally responsive teaching. And essentially what that is, is thinking about how can teachers take culture into account, both the culture of themselves as teachers and the culture of their students, and how can they be adaptive in their pedagogy, in the way that they teach, such that they're really responding to and celebrating both the differences and similarities, um, such that there's really equitable access to education for all students from all cultures. Um, this is something that has been, uh, you know, on in the realm of teachers for, for decades, but is really um, becoming more and more at the center of conversations here in Maine. And so we wanted to um, to just to bring that up um, as, as a term, because that's exactly what what, uh, what James references a number of times in, in our conversation. Marfine, anything you wanted to, um, to chime in about? Yeah, so I, I had to run and, and grab my book that I've been 
making it through once, twice, three times. Um, but it's called Culturally Responsive Teaching, Theory, Research, and Practice by Geneva Gay. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's great. I don't know why I'm showing the book because no one can see our video. But, but I can, <laughs> but, and, I, and um, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll, uh, um, po we'll post a link in our program description with the other resources, but I think it's a really practical sort of guide for t um, teachers and educators alike to kind of look at to find some um, good practices. And now over to our conversation with Mr. James Ford. All right, we are so pleased to have James Ford with us today and excited to, to have a conversation and be here together so that our listeners can hear from him because he's got some really fascinating insight to offer. So as we get started today, James, we just would love for you to tell us a bit about yourself. I, I would <clears throat> describe myself as a um, black male um, who could chase his lineage back to the Middle Passage and owns land where his ancestors were once slaves in Georgia. I'm currently in the education field, um, working in Lewiston. My title this week, and I say that because it's a change, <laughs> is Family and Community Support Coordinator for the district. And my, my, my vision in this role is to find ways for the communities and the school to communicate in a meaningful manner and, and take time to build relationships within make schools more welcoming um, and make sure they, they, they know how to listen to their parents. And also bringing in student voice because they're the ones being impacted by all the actions. Also on the Education Committee of the Abyssinian Meeting House, former board president of, of that organization as well, uh, former board president of PROP, which is our Opportunity Alliance, I've sat on boards of Berkwater School and um, Curtis Moore Library, Mid Coast Hunger. I live in Brunswick with my wife and two sons. Um, they're currently in the house. They're 33 and 28. One thing that kind of comes to mind from what you said is, and maybe it's uh, implied, but per perhaps you could say more, is how did you find your way into the work that you're doing in this moment, whether that's at Lewiston or with some of your other projects or with the Department of Education? How did you find your way into oh, this yes. work? I got, in, got into teaching in 2000 or into schools in 2004. I got certified in 2007. I had a major two major illnesses in 2009, which really turned my perspective around in terms of what's important and what things will I not deal with. Um, um, I, I, one, two, three. My third teaching gate was in Portland. And um, while I was there, I was also involved in the union. And also some, some state level committee and um, a consultant, uh, uh, a person who worked in the DC office, um, I was on the committee with her and she was t t 
taking in each person on the phone, uh, each person just to know a little more about them and and what we really wanted to see happen. And and I said to her that I would really, I really believe that every teacher should be trained in cultural competency because we make assumptions about behaviors and, uh, and people struggle because some folks haven't assimilated yet. So they're not acting the way I want them to act. Instead of saying, let's hear about your, your cultures and traditions and how can we include them in what we do. It shifts what we do. Um, so she tried to find me a workshop to go to for myself personally. And ended up at <clears throat> a four-day um, restorative practice circle training. Um, and it was, it was very powerful. It shifted my... Um, my beliefs around how you treat others, particularly students. Um, um, I, I was never one with a punitive mindset. I always wanted to say, why, what's going on to make you behave like that? Instead of saying, stop yelling, what's going on in your life that makes you behave this way? I had a student once um, throw a desk at me. It didn't hit me. And he started yelling and screaming. I stood there and looked at him and said, this is what you just said to me. Is that what you meant? He said, oh, no, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm going to pick up the desk and sit down. And so others said, why didn't you yell back? I said, because that's what he wanted. It's probably how his life is. Always in the loud noise, chaos. And I said, no. Um, to remain calm and incompetent. So I ended up, because of that experience in Portland, or that the, the training experience I got in D.C., um, um, Lewiston posted a job for a sort of practice coordinator, and I got it. So I, was, I had been doing research of practice work in Lewiston for two years. Then my job shifted to the one they currently have. Yeah, I mean, so much of what you're talking about, James, is is really um, exactly, you know, at that core of intercultural competence and bringing people together around commonality and then leveraging the difference of different perspectives and building trust and connection um, instead of meeting aggression with aggression, right? Because that just keeps us as a community, as a culture, as a, a nation absolutely polarized and, and it's right. uh, it's easy to default to that but I think that um, what you're describing is such an inspiration and if we can start that in schools right start that early start modeling that early I mean that's truly where um, you know how the transformation I think can happen yeah so um, you've had a lot of experience in the educational world and a lot of you know both lived and personal experiences and so this is a big question that we ask every podcast guest is what what's your first or one of your first memories of cultural or racial difference? Uh, what did you learn from that and how have those early lessons influenced you? Well, I, I grew up a hundred years ago and where I lived was um, very, um, um, I lived in a housing project that each building was four units and they only allowed one unit to be a, a person of color. So it was very strategically integrated. 
Um, but we all went to school together. We all played together. So we really didn't deal with the differences as children. Um, I think maybe the adults might have seen some, but were, but every every mother in, in the neighborhood was my mother. Because if I did something, it, it, it got home before I did. And I didn't want that to happen. So we all learned how to play together uh, behind, behind the, um, the um, complex, there was woods of um, this with these build forts. Uh, there's a pond for fishing, river. Um, um, so we just, we like back to nature kind of sort of. It's just, um, we, we all walked to school. Um, um, we most some most of us came home for lunch, and then went back to school. We went one school for nine years, K to eight. So you had time, opportunities to build community, become leaders as you got older. Um, I, I one of my tasks was to walk the kindergartners to the corner to, to when San Francisco go home. I was a uh, reading buddy with some third graders and fifth graders. Um, I was. Um, uh, crossing guard. So all these opportunities in, in community building were were embedded in my early training. Yeah. So on that note, then, um, how would you, what would you like to see in terms of what would a just and equitable Maine look like and feel like? Another big question that we ask all of our guests. Um, what would it look like? And what would it feel like? It would feel like that I'm still, they'll always be trying to achieve it because we'll never get there. It's a, I would say that it's a destination, it's a, it's a journey, not a destination. So we always have to shift our behaviors depending on the circumstances. Um, there's no cookie-cutter way for equity to work. It depends on who's in the room and what their needs are. So it's continually assessing, slowing down, asking questions, seek understanding, get things clear, because it, I would say in, in Maine, language, language has always been a trip up for folks. Um, you could say something and I'll be like, well, okay, you asked me to do something. When I asked students to do something and I said, do you understand the task? And they said, yes. I said, so tell me what you're going to do in your words. So like, and so we don't have to redo this later because you did, because you went the wrong way. Um, we make assumptions of what, what people know and don't know. And that creates some of the tension. And then all of a sudden you become too busy because we know all these redos. We're not just managing it the first time, it's the third time, the fourth time. Um, and it, we're not really inclusionary in how we do it. So it's about, it's going to feel yucky because I don't do this way. I'm just right. And that's why you keep, have to keep doing it over and over because you're not including the folks that are impacted by your, by your decisions. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's so interesting, right? The like, what what does it look like? And the, and the fact, James, that you're like, well, it's going to look different, 
it's going to look different depending upon context, I think is something that, uh, uh, that we don't often think about. We're like, okay, well, let's get that vision and let's get there. And what, what I'm hearing you say is part of that process is just really slowing down. So perhaps, perhaps more than most people are comfortable, especially in our, you know, American United States context, European American uh, context of, you know, uh, a linear process and efficiency and things that have been conflated, um, you know, that that really what you're saying is, is, is we got to get kind of uncomfortable being uncomfortable. The, the, what's gotten us here, the, the, the mindset that's gotten us here is not the mindset that's going to get us to equity um, or to justice, if I'm, I think if, if I'm hearing you correctly. Right. And if you don't know who's in the room, <clears throat> Don't know. You will never figure out what the purpose is. Because everybody's bringing their own story into the room, their their own vision. Yeah. They uh, everybody has different experience. But so based on that, once you understand who's in your village, because it takes a village, then you can have those conversations about how how we move forward. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I think so many people professionally often seek to separate the. Per- professional from the personal and I think what you're what I'm hearing you say is in order to do this work effectively it's actually necessary to integrate those pretty explicitly in, in a professional mm-hmm. setting or again I'm not trying to put words in words in your mouth I'm trying to yeah. make sense of it. well um, I went to this four-day um, retreat on virtually five hours a day and we were do- going on travel from Head to heart. Yeah. Yeah. So when you start work, working from the heart, it's more impactful and it's more meaningful and it's more inclusive. When you're working from the head, I, I got to get this done. Go away. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's a product. Yeah. And that yeah. is, uh, and it's so interesting because I think systematically people are rewarded, whether it be in school or whether it be in professional lives, for keep it in the head. Um, keeping in one's head and mm-hmm. and perfa- and in fact perhaps even punished like told that they are the problem <laughs> for bringing up these other issues that are more heart related yeah. but um, but what I'm hearing you say is that a really a just and equitable mean or society more broadly really requires us to, to shift in that way and I just think that's a really beautiful thing for our listeners to reflect on yeah not to suppress my my beliefs or opinions they need to be heard and, and, and we need to have a conversation about them, why they're important to me as a person. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, it's not about all thinking the same way either. I think that some people think that that's what we're like um, when there's the debate between like the, the left and the right politically. I think, you know, there's this idea of, you know, the the the, the myth of the cancel culture of like, if you don't think like I do, you need to be silenced or, or whatever. Mm. And, and I think. You know, James, you're, what I'm hearing you say is it really approaching this from a place of curiosity of how did we all get here um, and, and why are we here and, 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 and being real about that. Yeah, I find if I understand your journey, it helps me put things in perspective of how, you, how you're thinking. Yeah, and that, that I think is something, I don't know, Marfine, what are your thoughts about that? What are your reflections as you think about um, understanding people's journey versus the sort of with us or against us dynamic that sometimes is emerging at this moment. Yeah, I think uh, from from your work, 
you know, it's it's a continuum, it's a spectrum mm -hmm. of difference. And it's always about how do you bridge the gaps that may be between folks. Um, and you don't, you can't bridge those gaps if you're drawing lines in the sand and, you know, um, canceling your next door neighbor, um, calling out uh, people who you don't have a relationship with. Um, and so I think that's why we're starting to see a shift for the better slightly um, in terms of, you know, trying to realize what exactly, how, how, how is cancel culture, um, you know, used in many ways for, um, to do good, but also how is it, its popularity sort of damaging to, you know, you know, with, with your next door neighbor or someone down the street and then calling out same thing. Um, uh, I forget her name, but, uh, she wrote, she teaches at Smith College about calling in versus calling out, and, and I always love her um, her approach to it because we have to realize we're neighbors. Um, the guy down down the street, you know, we we have to walk by all the time and and see, and so you know, what's the best way to educate them and call them in rather than you know blocking them and, and pushing them out of our, uh, a person's life, and so. Um, I think that's some important stuff that, that's coming up. Let's see. Our next question for you, James. Um, what do you love most about Maine? And what do you find most challenging about living in Maine? Yeah, we're not, we're not throwing softball questions. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Um, well, I used to love... I'm getting older. The cold weather's killing me. Um, I love the geography of me. The, the diversity in geography between the, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, mountains. On the other side, I'm not too pleased with the diversity of the people. Because <laughs> um, uh, people have a lot to learn from, from the landscape. Can you tell us more about that? Well, Can you tell huh? us more about that? Well, what people have to learn from the landscape? Well, you have, you have, they, they coexist. You have the ocean moves into the sands, moves into the, the, the um, now the, the earth it moves in towards the rivers, to the lakes, to the mountains, and they're not in battle. They coexist mm. in a peaceful way as we as we go sit by the lake or sit by the ocean, or climb the mountain, they're peaceful. They're not creating any kind of controversy for you, or for them, or each other. Did that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a beautiful metaphor. I mean, beautiful imagery. And, um, and also, too, I think, like, we're not, we're not saying, like, one is better than the other, like the ocean's better than the mountains. No. And, the, and in fact, like there's no. all like the strengths and limitations um, in some ways. To, right. Yeah, I, I think that, that's mm -hmm. a beautiful um, analogy. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I, it brought up the image in my head of the old science book um, textbooks, and they might still have it, where it shows you like the cycle of 
water, I believe it is. Yeah. Ocean evaporates, goes to the air, which then creates rain for like that hits the mountains and then comes down as rivers and it feeds everything along the way. Um, and, you know, I think that's also, you know, I think uh, the indigenous sort of view of of land and, and water is very much the same as, you know, it, it all coexists and, and we're a, um, a small piece of it all. <laughs> um, so next question is, what's something that has recently inspired you? COVID. And it's allowed me to um, purge, do things differently, um, approach people differently. Uh, just about a year ago, I didn't know Liz <laughs> at all. <laughs> and we ended up on a Zoom, and here we are. Um, I'm listening more to people as they, with their, as they deal with living differently and uh, allowing them to share their concerns or their happiness around COVID. Um, people want to be heard. And I think and there's so much undoing. I mean, on the 14th of March, I went for a walk and cried because the door had closed. I can't go back. Some of those things I did back in on March 12th, I could never ever do again in that way. So I had, so I said that I had to grieve and just accept the fact that it's going to be different. So I had a, this clean slate of, okay, how am I going to shop? How am I going to talk to people? How am I going to, all different. And, and, and really what's important to me right now, um, uh, make sure that my family's okay. Um, and um, allowing people to, to have conversations with people. And, and cause that's, you know, as, um, Robert Jason would say, people who need people are like these people in the world. That's so, so interesting. Well, thank you, COVID. <laughs> well, and, mm. and I mean that, I, I think that, um, you know, bringing that idea of, you know, the way we used to do things, we had to shut the, you know, we had to close that chapter. Um, and, and that at the time absolutely was full of grief. And I, and, but I love how you're saying in some ways that is really a point of, of gratitude and inspiration because mm -hmm. if a global pandemic can't, <laughs> can't get our attention, um, mm -hmm. you know, it really is an opportunity. And look, look at all the creative ways people have been doing stuff. Yeah. You know, if you walk in Portland, half the streets are, are blocked out for change for seating, for, for eating. Um, that was, well, that wasn't there two years ago. And I was like, this is a whole new way of living and people enjoy sitting outside. Um, curbside is booming right now. Um, now, and, and, and also deliveries is booming right now. Different ways of making things happen. Zoom, what was that <laughs> in, in January 2020? I don't know. Look at, so, but hey, we're doing it. Um, yeah, we're tapping into creativity. Um, you know, yeah. and, and that, as we know, and as, as you're so, um, you know, 
as you've made visible, James, I mean, creativity is really that's where transformation can happen and, and in a really positive way. I mean, that that's that's the thing, too. I think sometimes we can really just fear change. We get into this sort of like this is I mean, you know, automatic pilot, like you said, like you've said before, James, like gets us to the same place we've always been. But this creativity really can bring us to a place that's so much more amazing. You know, in a place that really is, as we think about a, an inclusive and just Maine, it's, it's going to be tapping into the creativity of, of the whole village, as you, as you mentioned, of the whole community to, to envision and, and make that visible. Yeah, and I tell, tell people that there is no answer sheet. What do I do next? I don't know. Let's try something. Take a yeah. risk. There was, there was thinking of, oh, was, I did it wrong. Okay, what did you learn from that? We don't, we don't take time to learn from our actions. Wow. I, I did something, now let me think about what I did. Who did I talk to? Oh, I forgot to talk to that person because they're impacted by what I did. I'm sorry. So mm-hmm. next time they will be part of the process. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's like, if especially your leader, they're gonna lead, they're not gonna stand in front of your team, but they're gonna walk with your team because we're all in a brand new place. Yeah, that we've, and as a leader, I would need to rely on my pe- my my team to help make decisions. I don't know what tree to cut down. Which was path I can go? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And celebrate milestones. Yeah, it's a completely um, new way of thinking about things. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of new ways of thinking about things, I know um, my nine-year-old daughter, Sadie, is always thinking about things in ways that are new and different from how I think about them. And, and our listeners may know that uh, Sadie always likes to ask our guests a question, um, and it often is in the, a, the same spirit. Um, but, it, but what she wanted to ask James was, if Rosen. you could go back in time and tell your younger nine-year-old self something, what would it be? And so what would James Ford tell his nine-year-old self? I didn't hear the question. You were frozen. Oh, okay. Um, if you could go back in time and tell your younger nine-year-old self something, what would it be? Go outside and play. Well, get out of the house, see people, talk to people, play with people, interact with people, hear what they have to say. Oh, I didn't think about mm. that. Um, in, the, in this world now with so much stuff done in a chair with a thing in your hand called a phone and so there's no contact and, and also there's also an ability to say whatever you want to say because you don't see the person but if you're outside and now you're playing or something comes up you got to work it out practice practice yeah. those, those obstacles yeah, and I think, um, you know, go outside and play also encapsulates sort of what you were talk- You and Liz were talking about with the previous question is um, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and creativity doesn't come out unless you're willing to um, play um, with different ideas and different cultures and in a way that's um, not exploitative or... or um, colonial in nature like we have seen especially in museums and and things of that nature but um so so james if if you could tell the world or at least our listeners one thing what would that be like what what's one takeaway you would want 
um, our listeners to hear from this conversation? I would love for them to first uh, say multiple things. First, spend some time knowing who they are. Because any work you do, you need to have come from a base and perspective. So spend some time figuring figuring that out, and then um, figure out ways where you could put maybe things you want to see done to put courage before comfort. You're not going to change anything because you're just sitting back being comfortable. Things are going to change because you're you're making them change. You're either talking about them or doing it, and that and you might be the only one doing it. So that's courage. You might feel a little discomforted, but that's okay. It's a good it's a good discomfort as such a thing. Hey, one last question that I that I swear will let you go, James. Um, we just wanted to open up some space. Um, if there is something you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't already touched on yet. So just kind of open up some space for anything else you'd like to share. Hmm. Well, I can't think of anything. Um, I'll just say that. Uh, people should be a little more, take a little more risk in, 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 in accepting of others. Um, challenge their own assumptions about people um, or their beliefs that they were led to believe were true. Um, um, and the tough one is, the tough part of it is, um, I would say in the past year, I've had so many people say to me, I don't know what I don't know. And it's like, well, we'll figure it out. Or can you help me do this? And it's like, okay, I'm tapped pretty deep right now. Um, how could you, what can you do to make that happen? Um, I, you might get it wrong, I'll let you know. In, in a nice way. You blew it. <laughs> <laughs> but what did, what did you learn from that? Ah, experiential learning. Expeditional learning. Um, um, a year ago, many white, mostly men, would come up to me and apologize for the murder of George Floyd. So what they were doing was give me their guilt and walking away, feeling better. What did it do for me? Actually, I got more stuff put on my shoulders. Um, so there was a time they were like, make sure I kept my distance. But he, like complete strangers would say, that was so horrible, I'm so sorry. It apologize to me to make it, make it better. Um, we, I'll have a conversation with you, but don't, don't, don't just say, you feel bad, you tell me, and walk away feeling better. That's no shame on you. Um, yeah, so I, I checked the box. Yep, I apologize to black men today, so I'm good. Um, so it's more about understanding my sensitivity to what's going on, and you don't have to tiptoe around it. Um, but if you're really, if you're really confused about something, I can help you walk through the process with 
but believe me, I am not the spokesperson for the people of color. You will be getting my opinion from my perspective. And you can't go with what James said, so let's be true. No, 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 no. Did I say no? <laughs> Wow, Liz, that was another great interview. Thank you for, uh, by the way, um, introducing me to uh, Mr. James Ford. What an incredible guy and a empathetic and emotionally aware human being. Uh, I, I, in many ways, wish I was a student that Mr. Ford was talking about in one of his stories um, as a former brown kid of color in, in Portland schools. Yeah, he really has such a gift of uh, encouraging us to drop down from our head into our heart, to slow down, um, to really, I mean, for me, he really helps me to notice when I'm operating only from my head and, and really consider how including my heart can change the conversation and or change the way the work at hand is done. And I think that's such a gift uh, for... Um, you know, for me as his friend and colleague, and really such a gift for Maine um, to have a leader who um, who's doing such important work. Yeah, and I definitely think that you know slowing down and and thinking with your head, heart um, is such an important thing because in a, a lot of diversity and inclusion training, you know, people enter in and a lot of their def defense mechanisms go up because they're thinking too much with their heads uh, and, and, you know, trying to treat diverse and inclusion too much as sort of a, a, a logical thing. But we know that diversity and inclusion and, and culture and bridging differences isn't all about logic. Right. Um, a lot of it can only be, you know, healed and, and only happens through heart-to-heart um, -heart conversations. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I just feel um, feel absolutely blessed that we were able to have one of those with James today and to share uh, that with our listeners. As we think about perhaps what action this can inspire us to, right? That's that's often something that we consider at the you know kind of conclusion of our podcast is what can our um, you know how can this inspire our listeners and um, one thing that I would invite our listeners to do is to is to consider uh, what um, Mr. James Ford mentioned to us about the next time you know when we find ourselves in nature and so perhaps the next time you find yourself in nature consider James's invitation uh, you know to consider what can the geography of Maine teach us about diversity and about navigating different. So take that pause uh, when you find it. I mean, so many of us in the summer, right? We find ourselves in nature in this beautiful landscape that is Maine. And um, yeah, we invite you to, for the next time you find yourself in nature to consider that invitation of what can we learn um, from the geography. And we heard uh, Mr. James Ford saying, you know, that COVID was 
in some ways uh, a blessing in disguise because it forced us to find new ways to connect to each other and, and connect to um, the land around us. And that's, I feel like that's where um, nature uh, came into the conversation um, in, in terms of connecting back to what we're surrounded with rather than being in isolation. And and so I really, really appreciated that the, the metaphors that he used here. And, and I just have to point out, I, I cannot be me without pointing this out, but when, when we were talking about um, diversity and inclusion and, and, you know, thinking with the heart and not with just the head and nature, I was really getting nerdy uh, about in my internal dialogue about Spock in Star Trek. <laughs> It all comes and back if to you go Star back... Trek or Star Wars, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and that was the struggle he had being half Vulcan and half human yeah. is logic versus emotion. And the thing that I noticed when we we're talking about nature in in this segment was that if you go and look at Vulcan, it's sort of like a barren rock. Mm. Um, and and the Vulcan culture is all about logic. And then when you think about Earth and humanity, it's like Earth is beautiful and green and, and watery. And so um, I think we need to end up where Spock ended up when he was in his grand old age, um, you know, accepting both his logical Vulcan side and his very human heart side. Yeah, the both and, right? We've talked about that before, Marfine, is, you know, breaking out of that polarized either or you know, trying to avoid the dichotomy of us versus them. And uh, yeah, I think that you describe that both and um, of the heart and the head really beautifully, the logic and, and the emotion. So, so yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up and we are looking to get back on track in terms of our, our timing for our podcast. Again, uh, we apologize. I apologize. Um, I decided to do this little thing called running for office. But uh, really great interview. Thank you again, Liz, for introducing me to Mr. James Ford. And as always, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast on your favorite uh, podcast app. And submit uh, any questions or suggestions or any feedback or potential guests um, to us through our email, which is in our program description. Thanks so much, Marfine, and thanks to our listeners.